Welcome back to the Policy Biz Podcast. I'm your host, John Twabish. On this week's episode of the show, I talk with Tommy Pierce, who is the executive director of Neighborhood Nexus, a nonprofit organization based in Atlanta. What you are going to learn in this episode is how an organization like Neighborhood Nexus works with other nonprofits, provides technical and training assistance to those organizations, but more importantly, how they build a community around data to use data to solve problems. Where should food banks be located? How do we resolve or solve crime? How do we increase affordable housing? And you can't do that without data. And you can't do that without working with different groups and understanding the experience of people and communities on the ground. So as you're going to hear, Tommy and his group work with many other groups around the city of Atlanta to better understand the lived experiences and the experiences of people and communities living in their area, but also how to provide training and technical assistance to groups who may not be far along in their data evolution, their exploration of data, and how to provide data in engaging ways to those groups, but also to community members and also to policymakers and to other stakeholders. So it's a really fascinating conversation. I think if you're working in the local space around local data, this is the episode for you. So here's my conversation with Tommy Pierce, Executive Director of Neighborhood Nexus, based in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, Tommy, good morning. Good to meet you. Happy New Year, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Hey, John, uh, great to meet you and uh, happy New Year to you as well. Yeah, this is great. I'm glad we're able to to chat. We got a nice connection from a reporter I worked with at the APAM conference in Atlanta in November. And so she and I were doing this sort of data, data communication session. And she said, you really need to talk to this guy, Tommy Pierce. Um, he's doing some really cool work. So I thought we would start background introductions about you and, and where you're working. And then we can talk about uh, Neighborhood Nexus and we can talk about local data and all the all the good things you guys are doing down there. Cool. Sounds great. Uh, I'm Tommy Pierce. I am the executive director of Neighborhood Nexus. We are, um, I guess, the what you would call a civic data intermediary, which is like really, you know, kind of sexy type of organization um, that people love to support. Um, there's about 30 to 40 cities across the across the country that have something like us um, all through the National Neighborhood Indicators Partnership, which is you know, kind of based out of the Urban Institute. Um, so if anyone is interested in anything I say, you should go to their website, NNIP, and see if there's an organization in your city you can support. Um, but what a civic data intermediary really does um, is that we support social impact organizations, mostly nonprofits, a lot of public agencies, local governments, just to think about data. We help them connect to data that maybe they um, to help answer a question or a strategic uh, inform a strategic program or initiative. Um, we've actually worked with a lot of philanthropy through the pandemic to make sure that um, we're distributing funds more equitably. Um, and so we, we do kind of all things from analysis to just make, uh, building relationships between data sources and data users. Um, we're really focused on capacity building of the nonprofit sector just to make sure that Social workers like myself, I'm a social worker, that's my background, um, are kind of mm -hmm. comfortable and confident with data and how to use it um, because it doesn't have to be like this intimidating thing or anything. Um, really just yeah. uh, our mission is to grow a culture of data-informed decision-making among Georgia's social impact leaders. So what does that sort of thing look like in terms of 
uh, training and education for folks. And, and, and I think maybe, uh, maybe interesting for folks who are listening is what are the data capabilities of those nonprofits coming in when they, when they work with you, you know, when they get started? Yeah, it's, I mean, it, honestly, it's all over the place. Um, we're, I, I think of ourselves as issue agnostic. So not a housing expert, not a human uh, services delivery expert, although I've mm-hmm. worked in shelters and done street outreach and done refugee resettlement um, just in my past uh, life. But, um, you know, organizations come from all over, um, different skill sets, different size teams. Um, they might have the technical abilities or know what they want, but just don't have the time or resources. And so they can sort of outsource some of it to us. Um, I think about our work kind of in two main domains. One is that training and capacity building while the other is more doing the work or making connections. So uh, making sure the data exists and is connected to people. On that training side, um, I think for the first time about six months ago, we really started putting out our own series of webinars and trainings around kind of what are kind of our four main steps that we do for everything, which is um, helping people ask the right questions, use the best data, tell compelling stories and make informed decisions or kind of data to action. So we can usually break anything we do into those four areas. I, I think like this interesting and one of our one of our big kind of takeaways from 2023 is that when we have trainings, the people that show mm-hmm. up are maybe the one person at their nonprofit that is thinking about data can't find someone else to talk to. And so they just want to talk to people and it's like emotional support, but they're also bouncing ideas off before they show their boss or board. And so we're almost shifting a little bit or maybe adding to our training to do more intentional community building. So we're going to do some convening starting in February, trying to make them fun and also solves like this larger problem we think a lot about, which is nonprofits don't always know what data and tech can get them. They don't know necessarily Mm -hmm. how to procure those skills or people or to know what success looks like or how to measure like, did we, did we get what we paid for? And on the other end, you get, you know, these kind of data and tech professionals who want to do data for good, but don't necessarily understand like the complex social issues that nonprofits are addressing or state agencies or local governments are addressing and don't have that experience. And so you end up with sometimes things like hackathons that are kind of surface level. If we can yeah. get those people in the same spaces and just build relationships, maybe we can find some, data savvy board members for nonprofits or, you know, find some capstone projects right. for students or some make, make some connections and, and help everyone kind of build capacity on both sides of that. Right. So, and I've done a lot of work with NNIP in the past, because as you mentioned, it's housed at Urban. And so the NNIP partners like, like you all are sort of like my avatar for who I work with. It's like small nonprofits, right? They've got six, maybe 10 people. And there's a person who's like thrust into the data role. So when it comes to the data that these different nonprofits are collecting or, or using, I should say, like how, how are they thinking about collecting it and housing it? I've noticed that's a, a, an issue is data privacy and security is not always like forefront. It's like, oh, it's on my computer, so therefore it's secure. But, you know, um, so how are they thinking about in your experience or, or maybe just in, in the Georgia area specific region? How are they thinking about the data collection and housing side of things? Yeah, so we we work mostly with community level data, which is typically going to be from public data sources. So we honestly don't, I guess, have to think about data privacy too much. We do often yeah, compare sure. that community level data to maybe some program data just to see, like, are you serving uh, the people you're serving? Are they reflective of the community that you're trying to serve or the target audience that you're mm-hmm. trying to serve? 
um, but we don't necessarily be publishing um, publishing that individual level data or anything like that. Right. Um, I think you know I, I think the kind of the typical case. And there's a, there's a large organization in Atlanta that came to us and they were like, hey, we're doing strategic planning. Um, what data can you provide? And we, were like, mm-hmm. we literally have thousands of indicators at dozens of geographies. And, and we ended up, you know, helping shape the questions they're trying to answer. And there's someone that had mm. several campuses or sites across metro region, about 30 county region, and, um, and help them figure out like, maybe what they want to know is what their programmatic priorities should be in each of these diverse neighborhoods so that then they can develop things like a resourcing strategy and infrastructure strategy to support those different types of programs, whether it's uh, more sports fields or more early childcare, things like that. Um, So I think a lot of people come to us maybe with even a simple data request. And instead of Mm -hmm. emailing back a spreadsheet, we like we'll call them and say, what are you trying to do? And it usually is something different. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, yeah. we end up spending a lot of time doing that kind of thing, but it's usually more impactful. So, I, I mean, we really get things from all over the place from, you know, a, a one person, all volunteer organization will reach out just to say like, Hey, where should we open up this clothing closet to mm-hmm. um, United way? We work with a whole lot on their, both their data team, their marketing communications team. They gave me this like cool piece of art last yeah. year for all the work yeah. we've done with yeah. them. And so, I mean, the scale is, is, is really all over the place. This, the, even the ideas and like the types of projects are all over the place. We helped write a big 65 page report about black wealth building late last year. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the phrases that I keyed in on when I was poking around the, the website was the phrase community voice. Mm. And you've already talked a little bit about how um, that works in terms of the groups that you work with. Um, you know, I think the example of like, where do we locate this particular food bank or, or, or clothing location? I, I think that's a, like a really good example. But in terms of the actual voice, in terms of the qualitative piece, like, I, I guess there's kind of a two part question here. When these nonprofits come to you and they're talking about data, are they 99% thinking about quantitative data? And then how are you all sort of bringing in the qualitative piece, either for their data needs or just, as you mentioned, sort of the community building piece? Yeah, I think we're actually, we're in experiment phase to figure out what that really looks like. Mm -hmm. I mean, for, I think this will be our 15th year in existence. We've really just, our go-to has been, we know what data source that is. Maybe we'll combine a few things into an index and then we'll feed that back to you. We always say, here's the, quantitative data from the census or from Department of Public Health or DOE or our governor's office student achievement, a lot because a lot of our state agencies in Georgia are like actually really amazing at capturing and, and sharing out data. Um, and then we say like, but go talk to people, go talk to your program participants. Yeah. We've always put that kind of back on them um, because we've been the quantitative folks. Um, you know, during the pandemic, when we're looking at uh, federal, state, even local government data to kind of work on projects and, or even tell stories. I think our our role in 2020 was just to help people make sense of what was happening or make sense of what might be happening because we didn't really know either. Um, And everyone wanted to know things like, well, what is, what does the mental health demand look like in, in our County last week? And I'm like, we, we don't, we don't know what it looked like last year. Like we don't, that, that doesn't exist. Um, Yeah. And, and we've been thinking a lot now I mean, for, for a couple of years about, well, how do we get something closer to real-time data? Look at like the logistics um, kind of sector. And they, they, they're really good at, 
you know, look, grabbing things from social media, just understanding what, what real time things might cause delays or, or surface trends mm-hmm. and signals. And so what does real time data look like? How do you, how do you reflect lived experience or community voice and turn that into actionable data? Um, and so we've actually, we're really kind of reconfigured our entire organization around this idea that, um, you know, we think some of the best data comes out of the Pew Research Center, but it's mm-hmm. usually not local, right? So could we do a panel survey that looks at maybe the mm-hmm. city of Atlanta or just five core counties? And instead of building out an index to say, if you need a cup of sugar, do you feel comfortable asking your neighbor? Like, what if we just asked a few thousand people if they felt comfortable asking your neighbor for a cup of sugar? Mm-hmm. And we don't have to build a model or make an index. We can just have asked them directly. Yeah. Um, you know, the other kind of similar things that we'll be asking are, you know, we know what crime data looks like. We know that violent crime is going down, even though fatalities are going a little bit up because uh, um, I, I assume because the weapon of choice has become a gun. Um, right. But, and, and, and even when we polled um, Atlanta Regional Commission here in Atlanta, polled the region and, and crime was the number one issue. That's the perspective or perception. Um, we don't really know if, you know, people feel safe on their street at night. We could just ask them that question versus trying to mm-hmm. figure it out. Um, we did a pilot uh, in 2022 where we asked people what's the number one issue in the region. They said crime. We asked what the number mm-hmm. one issue in their household is. It was not crime. It, crime was pretty low. Actually, people feel kind of safe in their own home. Um, and the other is, you know, we know all kinds of stuff about housing trends and we know what the housing burden data, all of this stuff. But, you know, no one really is asking how pressured do you feel to move and do you feel like mm-hmm. um, you need to move or have you recently moved? What are the conditions that you'd be looking for in a new place? Um if your rent and property taxes weren't going up, what might you spend that money on? Which people, mm-hmm. they always say paying down debt and savings, but um, right. who knows? Um, so we, we've been experimenting and we're, we've designed this new program in partnership with Atlanta Civic Circle, which is a local nonprofit media group. And it's called Atlanta POV. So we really want to build a large 10,000 person panel. We want to feed them a handful of questions every month um, to understand their um Priorities, opinions, and values, which is kind of the second meaning of POV, in addition to point of view, because yeah. that's how clever yeah. we are. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and and so we've got AtlantaPOV.org. We're about to kind of soft launch some of this stuff next week. But um, we just want to just ask people instead of trying to build all these complex models. Yeah. You know, it's it feels kind of simple. It's, it's the harder work that AI can't really do. So we're going to lean into that. Right. Um, right. Uh, but yeah, that's where we are today. And through all of these groups that you have, you know, the other various groups around uh, or, or in Atlanta, around Georgia um, and the university sector. And, you know, there's a huge like certainly with the CDC and the health research sector down there. Have you found that there's a pretty large and sophisticated kind of data culture? What I mean is you've talked about sort of the smaller groups that are sort yeah. of learning. But above that. I mean, above in a hierarchical way, but there's a, there's a larger, there's another group that more sophisticated in. Have you found that they, I guess I'm asking, do you find yourself as kind of the go-between in some way between these kind of different, different organizations and different places in their data evolution? Yeah. I think if there are go-betweens, cause it honestly feels kind of fragmented. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, a small organization, you know, actually you might, the way that 
I, that I see that work is if an organization wants some program evaluation work done, they're mm-hmm. probably grabbing someone that works at CDC to work on the side yeah. as like pro bono or, or just a side consulting. Um, right. And so it's not necessarily like a formal organization to organization relationship. Um, working on a project right now at the CDC Foundation with four other NNIP groups. Um, so that's been, you know, kind of really exciting to kind of build those relationships. Um, I think if there is a go-between for some of these larger um, local, regional, state governments and kind of on-the-ground local and regional nonprofits, it would be us, Neighborhood Nexus, and also the Atlanta Regional mm-hmm. Commission, especially the Research Department, um, where right, we, right, where sure, we right. kind of spun yeah. out of um, last year. Um, but we work closely together, and I think we tend to be the go-to um, we're in so many different boardrooms that we do have this advantage of seeing what questions all kinds of people are asking. Um, Cause sometimes we're yeah. just asked just to sit in and, and if you, we hear something, we can either like, like real time fact checking or go run and find the data that we're looking for or suggest things. So, yeah. Um, so we're kind of in a unique position as a capacity building organization to really um, make those connections. I think that's be- becoming truer and truer um mm-hmm. our universities you know like these gen z students that are studying data science or they're or they're studying business and they taught themselves data science like they're interested yeah. in working in our sector and 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 mm-hmm. really like you can't they, they're not going to intern for you if you don't talk about equity and the environment and climate change and and all these issues and and so actually i've got a pretty good list of students that have come to us and i'm not sure there's enough nonprofits with research teams so it's like how do we how do we make these connections yeah. and that's maybe deeper than, you know, just these weekend projects. Cause I just, I'm not convinced that does much other than skill building, team bonding, that kind of stuff. And how do we do some yeah. authentic, solve some problems? Right. Is part of the challenge there, just the, the lack of, as you mentioned earlier, the lack of really good detailed local data to get people to get really deep into the weeds. I think that's some of it. I, I think nonprofits just aren't resourced to do a lot of thinking. They're, they're resourced often, most often based on the number of people they can serve, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and even finding money to do strategic planning can be hard or to invest in marketing and, and messaging can be hard data. You know, people think about data as data, not what data is getting them. Right. And so even when I'm pitching what we do to foundations, it's, it's kind of tough, you know, it's like, you know, here's, here's the ultimate impact. It's, it's not, we're not funding data. We're funding what, what data unlocks and, and how we deepen our impact. I actually think the pandemic helped, you know, when, when data and equity were the two top kind of things for a long time yeah. and, and, and maybe still are, we were kind of already at that intersection locally. Um, and so mm-hmm. I think, I think that kind of in some ways helped position us um, to just be there at a lot of the decision-making uh, tables. Yeah. I wanted to ask about missing data. You mentioned a few, this, this idea of doing sort of a broader, long, maybe even longer panel yeah. uh, survey or study. In, in your mind, what are the big missing data challenges that that you all face or, or maybe more specifically the sort of local nonprofit sector faces? Yeah, to me, like data is is a piece of it, but it's really about marketing, I think, and not marketing like advertising, Mm. marketing about like understanding the people we're trying to serve and building solutions Mm -hmm. that solve their problems as they see it, as they identify with them. Um, I do think if we're able to better understand lived experience 
um, better understand what the community is thinking about, what the priorities are at, at local neighborhood levels. You know, like if the mayor wants to improve safety, I bet that looks like different things in different neighborhoods. I mean, we, we've yeah. had neighborhoods in Atlanta um, that probably want more policing. They want less policing. We've had, we had a neighborhood last year that tried to leave the city altogether. Um, and so, mm. you know, we, we, need, we need to figure out how to build solutions that, that local residents identify with. Um, I, I mentioned that we're working with Atlanta Civic Circle, a local journalism group. You know, when we collect data, like surveys are, you know, more real time. We can ask whatever questions we want. Honestly, I don't even want to ask the questions. I want, you know, the YMCA to tell me what they're trying to answer. I want uh, Atlanta Wealth Building yeah. Initiative to tell me what they're trying to answer. It's, it's not me, the researcher. I'm just trying to build a machine. But Atlanta Civic Circle then is coming in and they're doing interviews, focus groups, we want to know what's driving those answers, right? Like why, why did mm. they answer and, and, and how do they feel about it? Um, because I think that's where we're going to start to like really understand what the solution looks like or even what the messaging looks like. Maybe we're trying to, mm. you know, maybe we're trying to expand transportation in a couple of our suburban counties. We always talk about rail and I'm pretty sure that doesn't work and it's not going to work even if some people want that. And so like really talking to people, if it's surveying them, like how do we follow up and understand what's, what's driving their priorities or, or even like, I think it's more of a values conversation um, mm. because I bet they'd be all about economic development and, and increasing you know, workforce participation. Right. And right. so how do we, yep. how do we use data to really understand what's going on and, and formulate solutions out of that? What in Georgia, and I think many States are like this now, what is the, I was going to use the word tension, but uh, I won't sort of color it that way. What's the relationship like between the Atlanta sort of metro area and you already mentioned a few sort of surrounding suburbs, but the but the broader the broader state? Yeah, you know, I was um, having a conversation just a, a, a few weeks ago at an event and a couple of legislators were there. And uh, so, like, I'll use their description because I'm probably in my own bubble. But, uh, you know, when they're when they're doing legislation uh, down at the state capitol, it's not, you know, what I, my understanding is not as much a kind of Democrat Republican political divide. It is more rural urban. And how rural do you urban, find, yeah. you know, because it's kind of, you know, in some ways, like Georgia is the state of Georgia and the state of Atlanta. And they're, you know, yeah. and then you can define right. like you know, we've got our metropolitan statistical area and we've got, you know, every funder, there's all kinds of combinations of what Metro Atlanta is. I kind of yeah. think about it as the five core counties, but you'll see 11, 13, 23, 28. Like it really depends. Mm. Um, yeah. I think it also depends on like what, um, what the issue is. So um, mm -hmm. the solutions again, are going to look different. Like the affordable housing solutions might be hardest in the suburbs where the population's growing fastest, but people don't want that density. Um, yeah. Whereas in rural, um, a lot of people have left. So maybe there's a lot more vacant homes that can be converted into something. Um, you think about internet um, access. I think everyone agrees that we should have internet access across the state, even though we don't actually have that. Parts of Metro right. Atlanta don't have good internet access. Um, might have physical infrastructure, but can't pay for a data plan, things like that. So. Um, I think it, it's issue to issue. It, it feels like more rural versus urban a lot of times, um, mm -hmm. or even like urban, suburban and rural. Um, yeah, probably even more. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the case in a lot of states. I mean, I grew up in, in uh, Western New York and certainly the difference between 
you know, the New York City area and upstate New York. Yeah. I mean, they're just they're just night and day. Uh, you know, I live in Virginia now, like northern Virginia, where I am now versus central and southern, especially southwestern Virginia. I mean, they're just, you know, they're just totally different areas. Yeah, I'm, um, a, I'm a lifelong Gwinnettian, um, which is Gwinnett County, just outside of Atlanta. When I, uh-huh. growing up, it was kind of like the home of white flight. Now it's the most diverse county in the southeast. And so, um, you know, I left for college and came back and it, it's like, it's a very different place. And I, I love it now. <laughs> yeah. So, it's fantastic for our daughters. I'm not sure I would have wanted to raise my kids in nineties Gwinnett. I mean, the schools are great and yeah. everything, but you know, just didn't have right. that kind of diversity or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, with our, with our last few minutes, what, um, you've mentioned a few things already sort of planning out, ready to go up, but what, since we're at the beginning of 2024, like what are your plans for, for the next year? Or maybe even five years, if you've got like that longer, I mean, that longer panel study sounds amazing, which they're always hard to do, but like, that's clearly a long one. But like for the next, you know, for the next 12 months or so, what, what do you all have on the docket? Yeah. I mean, the Atlanta POV panel is a big one. Um, we're, you know, there's a, there's a, there's one that's gotten off the ground recently at Rice University in Houston. That's going really well. So we're learning from them. That That's, that's going to be a big piece of this, but I, I really think that capacity building and even framing capacity building as community building among just nonprofit and data practitioners is going to be huge. You know, um, my, my, my weird hobby I developed through the pandemic was reading marketing books. I don't know why, like my, <laughs> my, my teenage self would like be appalled, but um, you know, it does feel like if you can create this small group of zealots, which I actually think we have, I just think they don't know each other. Um, yeah, they could probably do a lot of the, you know, and maybe it's a Slack group or maybe it's just these meetups and maybe a volunteer even runs it. So we don't have to do it. We have a small team. Um, you know, I, I just think building this community would go a long way for, um, both increasing the quality of data usage in our sector, because I, I hope to bring in both like even not nonprofit people, just the data for good folks, um, Mm -hmm. be in the conversation, um, uh, maybe they do some data requests for each other, showcase ideas to each other, and, and, and we don't have to kind of shoulder that whole burden. And, you know, I think we can share that. Um, you know, one of the big things as far as you mentioned our website, our website isn't like that awesome. It's it's dated. We really want it to reflect what we're trying to do now. So we're, we're being in, uh, working on strategic planning in the next couple months um, for the next five years, but we're going to have to do a whole web overhaul. I think we really need mm-hmm. to make data friendlier and this is like philosophical in some ways but like people talk a lot about democratizing data and making data accessible and i think that's actually i think we did that like a while ago i think that's been done Mm -hmm. but people still don't use our tools and that's because they're complicated like i actually don't think people just want data to be accessible they need it to be actionable and then even beyond that um right so i think about like how do we share how do we share like just the insights but even beyond that, I think data has to be really engaging. And so we're thinking about um, new tools um, or even new ways of just thinking about our web presence and, and, and kind of social media personalities that is engaging just because we want people to want to use it. Like I, my, my assumption right. now is that no one actually wants to be on our website. Their boss or their board said, go find some data. And they ended up at neighborhoodnexus.org um, because they're an mm-hmm. app and they're, now they're trying to navigate or build a map or use one of our dashboards just to export, you know, find one data point for a grant proposal. I, I, yeah. What if we could build a GPT on top of our databases that already exist? And it was just, you just ask it, like, what's the population of Atlanta in 2017? What is it now? Mm-hmm. And it just tells you, right? <laughs> like, 
what if you didn't right. have to build a map and use all these things, even though they're all in one place, it's still it's a lot of friction there, I guess. Um, yeah. So, I mean, those are the things we're thinking about. How do we go beyond data ac accessibility to making it actionable and engaging? How do we build community as a way to, you know, facilitate capacity building for organizations? And then how do we really capture community voice as actionable data? Yeah. Well, that's um, just uh, just a few small things. Oh yeah. There. Oh, we've got two yeah. full time. Like we've got two whole full time people, three whole part time people. <laughs> so so we're, we're doing great. Yeah, but it's but yeah. I mean, you've got um, like you said, you've got all these resources in terms of firms and students and 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 partners. We have so many friends, really like <laughs> which is yeah. like that's like the best thing for us, you know whether they're funders or just partner agencies or students or people that, you know, from corporate world that want to volunteer. Um, we've got a lot of friends. We just need to figure out how to use them. I will be on the fundraising trail this year, probably more than we yep. ever have in the past, in our past 15 years. So um, just to get some of this stuff off the ground. Um, we just built this yeah. tool a couple of weeks ago um, leading up to the break called the data wall. And it was like, instead of trying to like become a GIS expert so you can get the stuff out of our website, um, you know, can we just have a wall of like our favorite 20 charts and you can scroll over and it's interactive and it's like, you don't have to do too much. You just have to hover over things and it tells you yeah. what the data is. And so we'll probably, um, we've got like a, it's not linked to our website yet, but it was in our last newsletter, um, which people should subscribe mm -hmm. to. Um, but, um, to. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we're just trying new things out and if everyone ignores it, then we'll just kill it and move on to something else. But it's kind of the mindset we've got to be in. Yeah, that's a. I uh, I said that was to be the last question, but but your last point was really interesting, right? That like a lot of this is just trying things out, right? Like um, my my wife uh, a couple of years ago started her own practice after working in the hospital sector for a long time, and you know she's she's working on on Instagram and her Instagram followers and what she shares is just growing, but she's just kind of just testing and playing and seeing what works. I mean you know, I always like, just try something on your website, right? Like my site, her site, like it's not target.com. Like if it doesn't work, you just pull it down and try something else. And so I, so I will end with this question because I don't want to keep you all day, but do you find that this concept of experimentation is something that people are reluctant to do because they feel like, Oh, if we did not something wrong, cause it's not wrong. It's just, you know, it just doesn't work. They, you, you find that people don't want to sort of experiment, particularly with data, like we'll stay in the data sphere. Um, are they reluctant to just experiment and try? Or is that just a cultural thing that they just need to sort of realize that they can do? So I don't think that, you know, I like I, like I mentioned, I'm a social worker. I've got an MSW. But my whole career has been nonprofits. Um, I don't think there's a lack of ideas or people wanting to experiment. I think mm -hmm. nonprofits have such limited resources that the risk factor has increases. So anytime you like, we're trying new things, but we're bootstrapping all of those ideas. Like we just bought yeah. software to run a panel on our own before we have funders, because especially with data, like it's so like abstract what we're trying to do. And we have to have something to demonstrate or, or you know, show something a dem like a demonstration right. project uh, and show how impactful it can be. And if it doesn't work, like maybe we'll just never talk about it again and pretend that never happened. But like, <laughs> right. it's, it's a financial risk because, you know, we don't have usually these, this like, you know, we've got our reserve, but we don't have an additional internal line of credit just yeah. for, for strategy, like sure. innovation um, in our sector. Like we, we're not built that way. We're not funded that way. Um, 
usually if you have too much money on hand, it's just as bad as not having enough, right? But in, as far as mm -hmm. optics for funders. And so, you know, mm -hmm. funders being willing to invest in new ideas, especially during the pandemic, I think that opened up a little bit, you know, a lot of communities knew what they needed and it didn't have to be evidence-based or best practice necessarily. It didn't have to be a journal article uh, written about it for someone to say like, Hey, my roof is gone. Like, you know, like mm -hmm. we know what the solution for that is. Um, yeah. And so I, I think it's, it's not like a lack of, of want to, to experiment. It's just a lack of resourcing to do so confidently. Right. And I think the way that I've tried to get around some of that is by building in public. So the more that I can say what I'm building and, and not do it in secret, because then it's like, like I need, I need as much feedback as possible early on, you know? And so if I mm -hmm. talk to 20 people and say, Hey, we're thinking about this. Um, you know, when I, when I talk to people and say, what should neighborhood nexus work on next? They're like, we don't understand what you do at all. You tell us mm. because it's like, we're the data people. We're the ones supposed to come up with that. If I can come up with a pilot or even a PowerPoint, like, my go-to is PowerPoint template of what a tool might look like, show it to someone and say, yeah. good or bad, <laughs> like thumbs up, thumbs yeah. down. And like, if we can just do simple things like that and keep progressing, then, then like we can put more money into it, but being more confident that it's going to work. Um, but I think, I think the fear comes more in being open about what you're experimenting with. Um, and so if mm -hmm. you can build in public, I've been using our newsletter just to put out ideas and, sometimes get emails they're like hey that's that's really cool like tell me more and i'm like there isn't more that was all i had you know and, <laughs> that and was then, it yeah and then yeah. sometimes we get no responses and i'm like yeah maybe that didn't hit the same but right um but yeah i don't know that's that's how i think about that mostly um yeah yeah no that's great so um okay so uh how can folks connect with you all if they are interested in just learning on how you're trying things out or want to be involved like where should folks find you yeah um you know, our website is www.neighborhoodnexus.org. If you're listening to this after, say, June 2024, you should go there. If you're listening to this before then, you know, you might, it's not great. Like maybe check out our LinkedIn. So just look at Neighborhood Nexus on LinkedIn. Um, we have a newsletter called um, Up to Data. Um, so stay up to data by subscribing to our newsletter. You can find it at the footer of our website. Um, and then uh, if you're interested in our panel, like if you live in Metro Atlanta, um, go to atlantapov.org and join it and share it with your friends because um, we want to ask you some questions. Terrific. That's great. And I will put links to all this for folks who want to help out, learn more. They can just click and, and, and connect with you all. Great. Uh, Tommy, thanks so much for coming on the show. This is great. Uh, I learned a lot about what you're doing. I'm very excited to see uh, see what comes of it in the next, the next year or so. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, thanks so much. Thanks everyone for tuning in to this week's episode of the show. I hope you enjoyed that. And I hope you will take a look at neighborhoodnexus.org, sign up for their newsletter, connect with them on LinkedIn. And maybe you can learn a little bit about how you could build some more capacity and help the data community in your area to solve problems and offer solutions. So until next time, this has been the Policy Viz Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. A number of people help bring you the Policy Viz Podcast. Music is provided by the NRIs. Audio editing is provided by Ken Skaggs. Design and promotion is created with assistance from Sharon Satsky Ramirez. And each episode is transcribed by Jenny Transcription Services. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The policy of this podcast is ad-free and supported by listeners. If you'd like to help support the show financially, please visit our PayPal page or our Patreon page at patreon.com slash policyviz.